Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome to the kickoff episode of Season 4. I realize I've been gone for quite a while and I really do appreciate all you guys hanging in there. With a little luck, Season 4 will be bigger and better than the previous three combined. I have several surprises in the works that I will be unveiling throughout the season, so be sure to stay tuned for all of that. Now I know you've been waiting a long time to get back into the swing of things, so without further hesitation, let's go ahead and get after it. Our first call of the season comes to us from the state of Arkansas. This is Carly's Sasquatchy Call. So I grew up in northwest Arkansas in the Ozark Mountains. The Ozark Mountains are densely wooded, and it would be very easy to hide in the area. In fact, many people who are trying to get away from the chaos of people or away from the law can easily live in peace in this area without coming in contact with many people. My encounter happened eight years ago when I was 14 near the Arkansas-Missouri line on an old highway that connected my grandmother's house and ours. I was in the passenger seat, and my older sister was driving. We were the only two in the car. As we rounded the corner, our car lights had a figure walking up to the side of the road. To give you a clear picture, I need to describe the landscape. The old highway winds around the side of a mountain. At the point of the siding, we were rounding a corner and close to the bottom of the mountain. The area to our right was a steep slope upward, and the area to our left where we saw him was a slightly less steep slope and heavily wooded up to 30 feet from the road. As our headlights hit the creature, he froze close to the edge of the road. He didn't move a muscle other than turning his head, watching us as we passed by. He was at least eight and a half to nine feet tall. He was covered in scraggly hair with leaves stuck to it. I don't remember what his face looked like. I just remember feeling his eyes follow us as we passed by. He didn't seem aggressive by the way he was standing. I didn't feel terrified or excited, just shocked and guarded. If I had to guess, I believed he felt the same way. It could be theorized that it was just a hunter on the side of the road waiting for us to go by and cross the road, but that doesn't explain how tall he was and how he wasn't holding anything resembling a weapon. I was the type of kid who could be called imaginative, so if I had told the story anyone would probably have shrugged it off, but my sister was not. Neither she or I said a word or made a sound until we were at least three miles away from the sighting. My older sister asked me if I had seen it, and I said yes. We haven't spoken of the incident since. I have maybe told five people of this story, but it isn't something I just announce. 
I only know of two people my sister told, her husband and one mutual friend who I had also told. Telling our story would not have been easily accepted. In fact, we probably would have been made fun of and possibly ostracized because we grew up in a very small and repressed town. No one would have believed us, and we both partially didn't believe it ourselves. Anyway, that's the story of my possible Bigfoot sighting. I really enjoy this show and hope others will send in their stories as well. Thank you, Carly, for taking the time to share your story. Anyone that's familiar with Sasquatch or Bigfoot knows that the Ozarks, and specifically Arkansas, is a bit of a hotbed. In fact, many Bigfoot investigators cut their teeth on the 1972 hit, The Beast of Boggy Creek. For those unfamiliar, the mockumentary-style film focuses on the small town of Falk, Arkansas, and its citizens' experiences with a hairy, man-like beast. For some context, here is a segment of the theatrical trailer for the Charles B. Pierce-directed film. Here in this primitive river-bottom wilderness in southern Arkansas, along with deer, duck, crane, and beaver, lurks a creature that walks upright. Whether it is a man, a monster, or a myth, no one really knows. What we do know is the people around Falk, Arkansas, say they have seen such a creature nearly 250 times since 1954. And that this creature, whatever it is, emits one of the most terrifying sounds ever recorded. Coincidentally, the entire film can be found on YouTube. If you head on over to the show notes for this episode, you can find a link to watch the film yourself. And I highly suggest you skim through it. Now, as for Carly's call, my first inclination was that she simply saw a hunter in a ghillie suit. For those unfamiliar, a ghillie suit is a type of camouflage clothing designed to resemble a background environment such as foliage, snow, or sand. Typically, it is a net or cloth garment covered in loose strips of burlap, cloth, or twine, and sometimes made to look like leaves and twigs. Oftentimes, leaves or scraps of foliage from the area are also added to the suit. Back in my home state of Ohio, hunters often employed the use of a ghillie suit to hide from turkeys during the spring hunt. So it wouldn't be crazy to think that a hunter wearing a ghillie suit could be walking back to his vehicle and be mistaken for the hairy beast. Carly herself even touched on the notion that it could simply be a hunter. But the fact that the sister also witnessed the same thing helps the credibility of the sighting slightly, in that it's more difficult for two people to misidentify rather than one. Either way, the area is rife with sightings and has a long history of reported encounters. So thank you, Carly, for taking the time to share your experience. Up next is a bit of an uplifting call. The following story was submitted by Veronica in the state of Florida. Hi, 
Hi, Derek. My name is Veronica. I'm calling from Orlando, Florida. Um, wanted to call for a while, but never got a chance to. Um, this is actually a very uplifting, friendly story, ghost paranormal story. Um, my mother is very religious. We were brought up Catholic, and she's got a very, very strong um, religious and, and spiritual connection that she always talks about. But she refuses to believe that she has this ability to sense death but only in the most comforting way. Um, there's been several times where she, someone's loved one is dying and she's had a strong urge to go visit them. And when she visits, moments later, hours later, the person passes and she's been the only one there besides like the family of the person who passed away to comfort and to say words of encouragement. Um, it happens like, three or four times in her whole lifetime. And um, this story is actually about my mother. She used to live in Buffalo, New York with my father when they were first married. And um, it's up, upstate New York. It's really, you know, I've, I've got, I'm from Florida, so I'm not quite sure. But upstate New York, it's really um, slippery and cold and, you know, the, I, the snow stacks up. And she was telling me that um, they were going up by a farm and the snow was so bad that they couldn't see. And my father was driving, and she just got this strong sense that they were going to get in a car accident. But when she looked up, there was a child that ran across the street. And the child, my dad almost hit the kid, but he slammed on the brakes. And when he slammed on the brakes, my mother felt his arms around her, holding her to the seat as they spun and spun and spun. So, you know... They ended up not hitting a kid. They ended up not hitting anything, but they were really shaken up after the accident. Well, she said to my father, I can't believe you sought to put your arms around me and hold me back to the seat. That was cr pretty incredible. I can't believe you did that. And my dad's like, I didn't, I didn't do that. I, uh, I was holding onto the steering wheel. I, I, I could, there's no way I could have put my arms around you. You're in the passenger seat. I didn't do that. So she said just then... She got the vision of her her grandmother, and she knew she she knew she felt arms around her, but it just shocked her that she thought it was my father and it wasn't. So it was, that's just a story that I've always thought of when I drive because I get nervous when driving. So it's just an uplifting story. I have several more I can call back with, but um, just a positive one, positive ghostly encounter. All right, I. Thank you, Veronica, for sharing your mother's experience. As incredible as your story was, I can't help but focus on the fact that your mother seemed to inadvertently predict people's deaths. I immediately thought of Oscar the Cat, who was a therapy animal at Steerhouse Nursing Home in Providence, Rhode Island. The following CBS News story goes into more detail. Anyone who knows and loves cats knows and loves the fact that there are some things about them we can never know. And Oscar the Cat, who lives amongst terminally ill patients at the Steer Nursing Home in Providence, Rhode Island, Oscar. seems to have one especially inexplicable ability. We've noticed that if someone's in the dying process, he will curl up on the bed almost to comfort that person through their last hours. Mary Miranda and her colleagues didn't notice it just once or twice. He's done this 25 times in the two years he's been with us. And he's never been wrong? No. That's amazing. Yeah. 
It's like clockwork. Two to four hours before someone dies, Oscar shows up. Quite often, this is actually the first um, trigger for, for the nursing staff to realize that somebody may be actually about to expire. Oscar's eerie ability caught the eye of Dr. David Dosa, who treats patients here and teaches at Brown University. He was so impressed, he wrote about Oscar, who's just about two, in today's issue of the prestigious New England Journal of Medicine. I think Oscar is a truly remarkable cat. Oscar's unique talents can mean the world to patients with so little time left. It's not just that he lets the medical staff know when the end is near, but Dr. Dosa believes the cat might make it a little easier for patients to die. The link to that video can be found in the show notes for tonight's episode as well. Veronica, I realize your call was not meant to inspire a feline death prophet, but I couldn't help but notice the similarities. As for the actual meat and potatoes of your story, I don't know whose arm it was that helped keep your mother safe, but I speak for everyone in saying that we're very happy that whoever it was was there to do so. Thank you again for submitting your story. This next call is a bit of a strange one. I wasn't sure what to make of this when it came in, but I decided to play it anyway. This is Barry's experience. So, um, my name is Barry, and I live in Hartford, Maine, and there's this store that my friend bought up the road. The store's always been empty, you know, a lot of different owners, but, you know, it's really close to where we live, so we go there. Um, I've had really weird experiences there. I don't know how to put words to them. One night, I brought a heat thermal imager I just bought up to Anthony's apartment above his store, and as I held it up and looked in my viewfinder, I saw the shape of a, of a guy, and I ran out. And uh, Anthony actually just showed up here just now, scared, and um, here, I'll let him tell you. I was closing up my store, and as I was doing it, we locked the door, me and my employee, we turned around, and we said goodbye. As we were walking away, my store yelled my name as clear as day, chills and everything. It was f***ed up. Like, I don't even know. I I left there so quick and came right where I am. He's still pretty shaken. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Barry, for submitting. I'd be interested in hearing more details regarding your experience if you'd be so kind as to call back in. In the meantime, your call certainly has some excitement to it. Thank you again for taking the time. To round things out, we're going to head down to the land down under. The following experience was sent in by listener Steve from Australia. Greetings, Monsters Amongst Us podcast. This is Steve from Australia. That's what I'm calling myself anyway. Thanks for what you do on the podcast. Great format. Um, I'm surprised more people don't use this format where people get to deliver a story in their own words, and it's really fascinating. And the way that you also voice the other ones, I love it. So um, I'm one of those people with like a shopping list uh, or like going to the doctor, you know, have you had a UFO? Have you had a time slip? Have you had a this, that, you know? Well, I've had several things on the list of dozens of paranormal things. I've had a few things happen. So uh, I tend to pay attention to that. And I think that when you have imagination 
it's an important quantity here, not because you're making it up, but because it is the same function uh, of your brain as a transducer that allows you to notice these things and sort of allows allows you to interact with the energy around you that this universe is. Um, You need to be paying attention. You need to be thinking a certain way. So I had much better imagination when I was younger, and so these experiences happened, you know, when I was younger. It's not much happening these days, and many people report the same thing. So anyway, I won't go on with all of my asides. I'll tell you the story. So this is my time slip story. So this is back in uh, 91 or 92. I was going to a college in a town with about 50,000 people. And um, I lived about uh, one mile from uh, this college, say about a a kilometre and a half, I guess, uh, by road. And um, this day I was uncharacteristically determined to do something which was to clean up at home. And um, I was really fed up with not getting certain things done. And I was in between classes, so I had a couple of hours between the class I'd already had and I'd driven home and the next class, which was at 2 in the afternoon. And I said to myself, damn it, I'm going to get this done and I'm going to finish it and then I'm going to go to class. And I was racing around the house. I kept checking the clocks. I had several clocks in the house. And I would uh, check them regularly. And eventually, it got around to 2 o'clock. You know, I remember the sort of panic that was setting in. It was a few minutes to 2, and it was one minute to do. And I was like, I said, well, damn it, I'm finishing this job because I'm determined. And I'm going to be late for class. I know I am. I don't want to be late for class either. So I was like conflicted and emotional in between these things. And I think this is possibly a cause for what happened on that that day. Like I had intense intention and um, mixed with frustration and, you know, there was emotion in it. So I know it went past two, several minutes. How how many minutes? I don't know. Um, I raced out the front door I got in my car I flew down to the to the, the college I parked across the road raced in raced up the stairs to the first floor and the door of the classroom was closed which was a bit unusual I was knocking on it <clears throat> and there was no answer I couldn't hear anyone in there and I thought okay what's going on why is there nobody here it's a regular class I bet they've gone down to the library because that sometimes happens. So I thought, wow, I'm so late that they've already all turned up, you know, because they used to have stragglers and stuff. And now they've all gone down to the library and now I'm going to be late. And I was just a proud, a proud person on being on time and all that. So I wasn't happy with it. And I charged down. So I've been waiting there, you know, a good five minutes trying to decide what to do next and I decide no they must be at the library so I charge down and I'm going down the stairs and a couple of people start coming up and I stop and more people coming up you know and I'm talking to them what's going on and then eventually the teacher comes and they're all saying no man it's 
we're on time. We're all perfectly on time. And they're showing me their watch, and it's just on 2 o'clock. Now, I reckon I must have used up at least a good 15 minutes or more, and it was suddenly 2 o'clock again. And it just kind of blew my mind. And to this day, look, I've thought about lots of ways, you know... (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I had never heard of a time slip when that happened. I didn't hear about time slips until many years later. And um, the first one I heard about was about somebody quite local, and I just heard it like second or third hand that someone claimed they'd had gone into a whole other reality. I'm not claiming I went into another reality and saw different clothes or anything like that. Not that kind of time slip. I'm just saying that on that day, I seem to have gained about 15 to 20 minutes and it just never made sense to me. I don't get it. Um, And so I am open to things. So I say, well, maybe a person can create, given the emotion involved in it and you've got purpose like it was there was nothing fake about it I really was intensely wanting to accomplish two things which was to to clean up it was like I was willing myself to be in two places at once so that's my best explanation as to what happened and why it happened yeah so I hope you enjoyed that story and um I'd love to submit another one soon. Thanks, guys. Keep it up. Thank you, Steve, for taking the time to submit from so far away. Before I dig into Steve's call, I want to remind all my foreign listeners that they, too, can submit their stories by simply making a recording of their story through their phone or computer. Then simply email the MP3 or WAV file to me at monstersamonguspodcast.com. Now, Steve's story is very interesting in that there are no reports of UFOs or strange entities. Instead, the events surrounding the experience are rather benign. Oftentimes, time slips involve experiences with past civilizations, a change in a location's appearance, and even encounters with people from a bygone era. It seems that Steve's time slip featured none of these attributes, which, from an outsider's perspective, somehow makes it more believable. While listening to Steve's story, I couldn't help but think of a couple quite logical explanations for his experience. The first being that his clock, or even clocks, were simply displaying an incorrect time. If these clocks were 20 to 30 minutes fast, it could explain how he managed to arrive to class on time. In addition, it could be as simple as reading his clocks incorrectly. But as it is with most experiences, it's easy to offer up explanations from afar, but when these strange encounters actually happen to you it's a bit harder to write them off. Thank you again, Steve, for sharing. We look forward to hearing of your other encounters as well. And that's going to do it for this episode of Monsters Among Us, but before I go, the usual house cleaning. Sadly, my dream of acquiring 100 reviews on iTunes was not met. Through a valiant effort, we managed 97 reviews, but fell three short of our goal. But fear not, all is not lost. You can still submit your rate and review by simply going to iTunes, punching in five stars, and saying a few nice things about the show. 
If you have a story and you'd like to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can head over to the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab. There you will find several options to submit your very own story. A reminder to folks that are calling in, if you need more than five minutes to tell your story, simply call back and pick up where the messenger service cuts you off. I will take care of the rest. If you're one of those that was excited that Monsters Among Us has returned, but now are disappointed that the episode is over, you're in luck. I recently sat down with Into the Fray Radio's Shannon LeGros to discuss all things paranormal. You can find that new episode by searching Into the Fray on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Not to give anything away, but we dive into the mirrored men quite extensively. Also, in case you missed it, the fine gentlemen at Blurry Photos were kind enough to invite me to guest host their July edition of Bullstone. If you like the paranormal and comedy, I highly suggest you check out Blurry Photos. You can find a link to both of those shows in tonight's show notes. Now be sure to follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I want to take a quick moment to thank the talented Warren Pawn Abbott and Amber D'Ambrosio for their vocal contributions to tonight's show. Without their help, things would not be nearly as exciting. And lastly, music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. <laughs>